It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Lockdown NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Lockdown Bills. want to thank you for making Lockdown Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single show, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts, we're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Well, folks, we're going to have herd mentality on the podcast today. You know the drill. You supply the questions, comments, and takes, and I'll supply some feedback and the best answers I can provide a lot of this, obviously dealing with your biggest questions coming out of the 2023 NFL draft. So a lot of our questions will be centered around that. So let's get started. First one today comes from Adam. Adam says, can you compare Dalton Kincaid to Dawson Knox as far as athleticism and type of player? Knox has improved his catching ability, but how does it stand up to Kincaid's? Will Kincaid's basketball ability allow him to attack defenses along the lines of Antonio Gates. Well, in terms of comparing Kincaid to Knox, physically, Knox has an inch on him and 10 pounds and about an inch longer in arm length as well. In terms of athletic testing, we didn't get athletic testing from Dalton Kincaid, but I would assume they're probably pretty comparable athletes. Uh, Dawson Knox, a top-tier athlete at the tight end position, and I think Dalton Kincaid is a top-tier athlete at the tight end position as well. In terms of skill sets entering the league, Dalton Kincaid comes in with a much more refined pass-catching skill set. He's a lot more polished in terms of route-running hands, ability at the catch point. So you have a much more dynamic receiving threat in terms of where they were coming into the NFL. But Knox a little bit bigger, uh, plays a little bit more of an inline role or, or projects better to an inline role with his size and power at the line of scrimmage where, you know, Kincaid, I think, is going to be more of a move flex piece uh, in this offense that um, is detached from the formation probably a lot more than he is attached to the formation. So the good news here is they're very complementary in terms of skill sets where um, Kincaid can be moved around, so can Knox, but also Knox projects a lot better as a true inline player. But where they came out, the receiving pedigree is is much more advanced when it comes to Kincaid entering the NFL. Matthias says, I wanted to ask you some questions about the Dorian Williams pick and get your opinion on a theory that I have. After listening to the Brandon Bean presser and hearing him right away mention Williams' special team's ability, it got me thinking. Do we think that some of their reasoning behind the pick was to get special teams help at a lower price than we are currently paying Tyler Medikavich? I'm not saying that he just that justifies a third-round selection, but Brandon Bean may look at him as an opportunity to get a player that offers the ability to provide actual meaningful depth on defense and at the same time gives you a player that can play four phases of special teams. We all know the Bills' front office highly value special teams, 
If Williams proves he can do this, they could potentially cut Matikiewicz and free up space this upcoming year for an additional free agent signing or trade. So I would agree with you that um, part of the expectation for Dorian Williams is to come in and play four phases of special teams. He has over 700 special team snaps logged during his time at Tulane, and so he should be able to come in and provide that right away. Uh, in terms of him being on the roster and that allowing the Bills to move on from Tyler Medikavich, there's really no cap savings to be had by cutting Tyler Medikavich this year, and he's on an expiring contract. So um, maybe he would take away some of the pressure to bring back Tyler Medikavich after this season, but that won't likely be uh, part of the mix this year. Um, in terms of Medikavich and his deal, um, like I mentioned, there's no there's no cap savings to be had by letting him go, and there's actually a void year on his contract for 2024, and the Bills are going to have $667,000 in cap space committed to him uh, regardless. Um, and so that also makes me believe that there's a chance that they don't even move on from Tyler Medikavich and, and that they actually extend him. We've seen the Bills be very intentional about re-signing core special teams players year over year. Think about Taiwan Jones. Think about the the deal they gave Saran Neal, the deal they gave Tyler Medikavich, um, Jay Kumro year over year. You know, Medikavich is only in his early 30s, and so I, I think the Bills will look at him as a long-term fixture as part of their special teams. I mean, this guy is so important to them. He doesn't even dress during the preseason. I mean, the dude is in street clothes during preseason games because they're so comfortable with what he brings in terms of special teams. So I see where you're going with this. Uh, there's no benefit to cutting Tyler Medikavich this year, and I am not convinced that the Bills are um, interested in not having him as a core featured part of their special teams units now and well into the future. Uh, Daniel says, I do have questions regarding Justin Shorter. I just listened to the podcast this morning, and it sounded like the way you talked about him was similar to how you've discussed Gabe Davis and his limitations. Of course, I'm not saying Shorter is a sure thing wide receiver too, but do you think that the Shorter pick could be a hedge against losing Gabe in terms of body type and skill set? I appreciate the question here. I'll say this. Gabe Davis is a much better or, or is a much better receiver right now and was a much better receiver than Justin Shorter coming out of college. I, I, I had, you know, Gabe Davis graded a bit higher than I, I had Justin Shorter. I, I can understand where you're coming from in terms of their uh, size guys that win vertically, um, really thrive with ball skills down the field. Uh, but I think Gabe probably, and I don't have a whole lot of compliments about Gabe's route running, but I think he's got more than Justin Shorter does. And Justin Shorter has more size too, much more length and much more, um, bulk to his body composition. And so uh, Gabe's a pretty big receiver. Justin Shorter's a really big receiver. I think you can kind of look at it through that lens. But I think there's some limitations that that are consistent through both players in terms of minimal yards after catch appeal, not dynamic quick separation guys. Uh, they win in similar ways, but there's just a lot more polish when it comes to Gabe and um, certainly a more accomplished player entering the NFL based on what they did in college. So I see where you're going with this, and you know I don't know that the Bills are really looking at it like that. Um, it sounds to me like any word that you ever hear Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott say about Gabe Davis, it's all complimentary. They really believe in him. And so um, based on that messaging, I, I feel pretty 
confident that the Bills are going to keep Gabe Davis around um, for as long as they possibly can. And so maybe it's a hedge, but I think it's more of a hedge against like Trent Shurfield after this year than a hedge against Gabriel Davis. All right, we got a bunch more to get to here in just a moment, but first need to tell you about fan. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook, FanDuel. It's a lot of fun. They have future bets. They have NHL, MLB, of course, the NBA playoffs as well. So check them out. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, the next one today comes from Bill's Monster, who says, with the Bills not having a true three-down middle linebacker on the roster who takes the green dot helmet next year, or, or the question is, who takes the green dot helmet next year? Also, I listened to your entire Lockdown NFL Draft live stream. How do guys like you and Kyle gain such deep knowledge of the game of football? Is it by just watching tape over the years, or is there a resource you use to help you learn? Great job on all the coverage. Appreciate that, Bills Monster. Uh, let's answer the first part of the question about uh, the green dot player, and that's uh, referring to the player who has the green dot on their helmet, which means they have a direct line of communication to the defensive play caller um, in terms of calling the plays. And so I, I understand that there's not a clear answer to who that is, but that's that's what the Bills have to sort out over the next four months is who's going to be that guy. And we know who the cast of characters are. Brandon Bean keeps telling us, Terrell Bernard, Tyler Tyrell Dotson, Bale Inspector, and I don't really think A.J. Klein is in the mix. You heard Brandon Bean comment on A.J. Klein and said that he's just kind of an asset to the room, where I I think that it's going to be one of those three players and probably Terrell Bernard, although he did say Tyrell Dotson could be the leader in the clubhouse just based on uh, the most experience. But I got a feeling they drafted that guy in the third round to, to be a player, to be a factor for this defense, and I think it's his job to lose, to be honest with you. And so that's a a big task of this coaching staff to sort out over the next four months. Uh, But don't be surprised if it's Terrell Bernard. And and honestly, I hope that it is to an extent because I want to see return on investment from that third round pick. And I'd love to be wrong about Terrell Bernard and for him to be a high quality starting impact linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. I'd love that more than anything in the world. Um, And I I think that's probably at least predictively right now, how I see this um, unfolding. In terms of uh, just knowledge of the game that Kyle and I have, I mean, we've been very intentional about being students of the game. Um, every offseason, we commit a lot of time to coaching clinics, um, reading books about schemes. Uh, there's different video content that we like to consume. And this is actually literally going into our 11th year right now in football media. And we've been intentional about doing just as much to study teams and players as we have as we have learning the game at a deeper level. And, and with that said, I still feel like I have so much to learn. Like uh, last off season, I really committed to learning about offensive line play. And I attended O-line masterminds, read some books, met with Aaron Cromer. I met with a couple of other NFL offensive line coaches and, and asked questions and learned as much as I could. Uh, this off season, my main focus is going to be coverage shells. I want to learn about coverage shells and, and you know, really, understand the nuances of the different 
coverage schemes out there, match quarters, cover four, cover six, cover two, cover three. I want to know about them uh, at a deeper level than I do right now. The other part of my offseason that I really plan on utilizing uh, in terms of learning the game is I'm going to study the 2021 Rams offense and the 2022 Lions offense uh, because I think they're good um, modern schemes that are indicative of the way the game is trending um, in a lot of ways. And so that's going to be a big part of my uh, emphasis this summer in terms of learning the game. So just never stop learning, right? It's not just about knowing the league and the players and the teams and their tendencies. You got to know the game of football. And so uh, we've made that a priority every single year. And uh, this offseason will be no different. And uh, we're focusing on, or at least I'm focusing on coverage shells, the 2021 Rams offense and the 2022 Lions offense. Uh, next up here is Jared, who says, so Washington did not apply the fifth-year option to Chase Young. Maybe a potential trade candidate. Young's cap hit is right at around $11 million. Bill's current cap space is $4.8 million. Uh, but if they cut Morse post-June 1, that saves $6 million and trade Oliver pre-June, saves $10.7 million. Is that th- something you would consider? I love Mitch, but with the draft, maybe Bates becomes your center, and to fill the Oliver void, maybe Puna Ford. All right, so some thoughts on this is, first of all, I'll say I'm intrigued uh, by Chase Young, but I'm certainly not moving heaven and earth to get the guy. Um, He had a good rookie season in 2020, seven and a half sacks was the defensive rookie of the year, but since then he hasn't done anything. I mean, the last two seasons he's played 12 games, so nine in 2021, three last year. He's got a combined one and a half sacks over the last two seasons, injuries both seasons. I mean, I'm not moving heaven and earth to acquire Chase Young. That's that's the way I look at it. And look, I mean, you're talking about parting with your starting center and your starting three tech to get this. I I don't see that. And in terms of this Mitch Morse conversation, I feel like this has been a conversation that's been brought up amongst a lot of people about, you know, the Bills could move on from Mitch Morse. I don't think the Bills are moving on from Mitch Morse. And I'll, I'll give you a little nugget here. When I was at the Senior Bowl, I was on the sideline talking with an NFL agent. And uh, as part of me talking to that NFL agent, Brandon Bean came up and spoke to that agent while I was talking to that agent. And um, I kind of indirectly became part of their their conversation that they were having together. And one of the people that they brought up was Mitch Morse. And from the way that Brandon Bean talked about Mitch Morse, it doesn't sound like there's any chance the Bills are not going to be keeping him around um, for as long as they possibly can. So I would not uh, be thinking about Uh, the Bills moving on from Mitch Morse, even though I I see that come up um, pretty regularly in at least questions and and discourse that I observe on social media. The next one here comes from Kyle. Kyle says, I'm very surprised the Bills didn't draft anything on the D-line, especially defensive tackle. Do you think we can expect to see some defensive line free agents to be added as soon as the comp pick formula is set? Feels like Bean could have told the remaining free agents he has some smaller contracts he can offer once a draft concludes interested to hear your thoughts. So yes, I am surprised like you are, Kyle, that the Bills did not draft anything on the defensive line, especially a defensive tackle with none of them uh, signed beyond this season. Bean was asked about this and he said, look, we wanted to just never got to the point where the value made sense uh, based on the board. Um, And so I can appreciate that and I can respect that. You don't just do it just to do it. It has to make sense. They didn't like any of the players. Then they didn't like any of the players. Um, but yes, I, I do think that he will explore veteran free agents, and he said as much. He said that they could sign somebody as early as this week and, and maybe even a couple of these uh, defensive linemen. We know that they had some interest. I think Ryan Talbot uh, reported that the Bills had some interest in Puna Ford, who is a one-tech, 
And I think that would be a great addition to this defensive tackle group. And yes, the comp pick formula, I think it's it might be this some point this week where the players you sign have zero impact on the compensatory pick formula. So you're going to secure that third rounder uh, for losing Tremaine Edmonds, and then you can sign players with no uh, consequence to the comp pick formula. And I think that will happen. I think the Bills will try to sign one of Puna Ford and Shelby Harris. We talked about the edge rushers as well, where Leonard Floyd, Yannick Ngakwe, Frank Clark, um, Carlos Dunlap, Melvin Ingram. There's a lot of players, uh, Justin Houston, that the Bills can be looking at. And so I, I fully expect the Bills to explore those options here in the coming weeks uh, to uh, ease the concerns that exist on this D-line because I have them, and I'm I'm sure you do too. I mean, it's literally the exact same guys as last year, and and folks, I'm not satisfied with that, especially with Von Miller uh, unlikely to be available at the start of the season. Uh, so I want more there, <laughs> regardless of if Von's healthy or not. And I think the Bills will be definitely using uh, the coming weeks here to to land some veterans. And it sounds like maybe some of those deals were already kind of worked out before the draft. And some of these veterans, they they may not get what they want uh, in free agency in that that initial window. And what they don't want to do is sign late and then make a mistake with where they choose to sign because of the way the draft goes. And so now that the draft is behind us, teams or these veteran free agents are going to go to those attractive landing spots where they can really, you know, play and and show themselves. And maybe they'll have to take something lesser this year. But if they go out and do it, you know, they're going to be in line for a bigger deal. Uh, next offseason. And so I think the Bills um, are in good shape to add them. I mean, if you're a free agent defensive lineman, you want to go to the Bills, right? It's not good enough. Nobody's really locked up long term, especially a defensive tackle. You feel like that'd be a great spot for you to go uh, play. Obviously, the Bills a Super Bowl contender. There's a lot of attractive qualities about uh, being one of the guys that I just mentioned and, and choosing to go to the Buffalo Bills. Dan says, with Dalton Kincaid in the mix, set to take a larger target share. What do you expect in regards to target share for Khalil Shakir? Coming into the offseason, it looked like we were about to see an uptick for Khalil, but it seems like it may be a limited role for him again. Well, it may be a limited role, but I I surely think he'll catch more than 10 passes like he did last year. Uh, So I talked about this a little bit yesterday on the podcast when I went through expectations for the um, 2023 draft class for the Buffalo Bills and got into the Dalton Kincaid market share. And that kind of talked into, or got into a little bit of the rest of the market share in the Bills wide receiver or receiving core, the pass catchers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but I think you have an established top four. It's, it's Diggs, Kincaid, Gabe Davis, and Dawson Knox. Those are the, the four top options in this Bills passing offense. And then I think after that, you get into the Khalil Shakir, Deontay Hardy, conversation and then however James Cook and the running backs factor into that but I think Khalil Shakir is in line to be the fifth or sixth option in the passing offense and I think he can command around 50 targets this coming season which would be a significant upgrade I mean you think about percentage of increase I don't know how many targets he had but he had 10 catches I would guess 15 17 targets I mean you're talking about a pretty big jump from year one year two a market share which I like remember we we had these conversations about Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie and last year and, and them just being in line for a massive uptick in market share and you know some of the concerns that come with that. And I, I, I can appreciate the, the, um, the slow trickle up, if you will, in Khalil Shakir not going from a guy that got uh, 10 receptions to a guy that they're counting on to catch 70 passes, right? I think that is potentially how you can set up a player for failure and um, ruin your offense in a way and relying on a guy that's not ready for the role 
uh, that you want to give them. And so I, I can appreciate that. But I think he's in line for around 50 targets. I went back and I talked about the 2021 target distribution. Uh, and I, I think there's some parallels uh, from that to how it can look f- look moving forward, just kind of moving some names around. But in 2021, you had 164 in terms of targets to Diggs, 112 to Beasy, Beasley, 72 to Sanders, 71 to Knox, 63 to Davis, 50 to Singletary. And then if I were to kind of forecast that into the future, I would say the same 164 to Diggs, then that 112 that went to Beasley, give those to Kincaid. The 72 that went to Emmanuel Sanders, that's now for Gabe Davis. The 71 for Dawson Knox remains for, for Dawson Knox. <clears throat> Excuse me. The 63 that Gabe Davis got, okay, here you are, Khalil Shakir. And the 50 that Devin Singletary got that year goes to James Cook. So I can see an evolution of target distribution looking something like that. All right, folks, we got a bunch more to get into here in just a moment, and including some thoughts on Brandon Bean and his draft strategy, uh, tight end utilization, and Spencer Brown. So just need a quick break. I'll be right back. All right, the next one today comes from John. John says, at what point do we have to examine how Brandon Bean drafts? He trades away the fourth-round pick and doesn't seem to utilize third-round picks. Well, John, we never stop evaluating it. Since this man's been hired as the GM of the Buffalo Bills, I've nonstop evaluated every single thing that he does. And so that's an ongoing thing, and I, I it'll never stop. If he's the GM for the next 15 years, we'll continue to have this conversation. I'll push back, though, on uh, your comment about um, not utilizing third-round picks. I, I think it's fair to say that, yes, he likes to trade away his fourth-round pick. That That's very, very true. But in terms of third-round picks, let's look at the inventory of third-round picks that the Bills have made. 2018, Harrison Phillips was basically a starter for the team whenever he was healthy. 2019, Devin Singletary and Dawson Knox, those guys were basically rookie starters. In 2020, Zach Moss, the Bills drafted him to be a a major piece of the offense. It didn't work out, but it's not because they didn't want to utilize him. They tried. Then it was Spencer Brown in 2021, who was a starter in week four and has been the right tackle starter. And then last year it was Terrell Bernard, who I think is in line to be the starting Mike linebacker this year. And so I agree with you on the fourth round picks, but utilizing third round picks is definitely something the Bills absolutely do. And the history clearly shows that. Connor says, can you explain the difference between the Y and F position for a tight end? I heard Brandon Bean talk about it on the Pat McAfee show after the pick. It's a good question here, Connor, because this is going to be a big part of uh, what this Bills offense is going to be moving forward now that they have a first-round pick invested in Dalton Kincaid to go with Dawson Knox, the $14 million a year tight end. So the difference between the F and the Y, the Y tight end is your traditional inline tight end. Aligns next to the offensive tackle and, and works as an inline player. The F tight end is the mostly detached player from the formation, the move piece, the guy that can line up in the slot, the guy that'll be in the backfield a little bit. Um, And so in this Bills offense moving forward, you can look at Dawson Knox as the Y tight end, the traditional inline player, and the F tight end being Dalton Kincaid, who's mostly going to be detached from the formation in the slot, out of the backfield. Maybe from time to time, he'll be in some closed sets or some tighter alignments but not as much inline work as we're going to see from Dawson Knox. So that's your difference between the Y and the F tight end. Jimmy Graham, Jimmy Graham is a great example of a Y, or excuse me, an F tight end. Kyle Pitts, an F tight end. Mike Gusecki, an F tight end. Your Y tight ends are your 
very traditional inline players, right? Um, your Jason Witten, even though he moved around quite a bit, Pat Fryermuth, those types of players, very traditional type players. Next one here comes from Tyler, who says, how much consideration do you believe went into picks uh, one and two for the Bills towards supporting Spencer Brown's development? My thinking is a right guard with a solid anchor like Torrance and a pass-catching tight end, too, who allows Dawson Knox more opportunity to stay in and block, really seal up both sides and give Brown more confidence and focus. Interested to get your thoughts. I think the Bills drafted those players to help the offense. I don't know that it had a lot to do with Spencer Brown and his development. I think the Bills, as I've said repeatedly this offseason, like it or not, are committed to Spencer Brown to be the right tackle. And I think that these moves can benefit Spencer Brown. I think especially Kincaid, where if you're going to use more tight ends, you're probably going to have more close sets or or tighter alignments. And because of that, it might elongate some of those paths for the pass rushers. And um, through that indirectly, you can help Spencer Brown. Um, I don't know that putting a rookie next to Spencer Brown is going to help him. Um, But I can see what you're saying. There is a more powerful player. You, you can work in tandem with Spencer Brown on some of the scoops and combo blocks to the second level. Like there can definitely a benefit be a benefit there, but I'm not sure that it was much weighing on Brandon Bean's mind when he made these picks saying, Hey, hey this will help Spencer Brown. I think it was more, Hey, this is going to help our offense. And these two skill sets will be a benefit to the entire uh, operation, the scheme, the coaching staff, and, and of course the, the players, but mostly Josh Allen. So I see where you're going with that. There's an indirect uh, benefit, but I'm not sure it was uh you know, a big piece of uh, of what influenced the decisions. And so uh, Spencer Brown, obviously, big year for him entering year three. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Uh, big shout out again to our everydayers. Thank you guys for being here so much. Uh, tomorrow on the podcast and throughout the rest of the week on this podcast, I have some other lenses that I want to look at this draft class through. I want to talk about veteran winners and losers on the Bills based on the draft. I want to talk about what we learned about the Bills uh, from this draft because I think. When you have a, a draft class, um, there's a lot that you can glean about um, those decisions and the players that were brought in and uh, maybe some of the visions that they have for not only the scheme and the offense, but uh, how it impacts other players on the roster and, and uh, who they might be wanting to keep or who are some of the players that uh, they might be primed to move on from. So there's a lot that I learned about the Buffalo Bills from this draft, and so I want to share that with you as well as we navigate through the rest of the week. So come on back. Make sure that you're subscribed. We'd love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you tomorrow.